last week we talked about work and just the the essence of work and what God calls us to in work. And I wanted to lay that scriptural foundation because um, when we come to how work can get tangled up, I want to start with this um, passage right here. This is in First Thessalonians. We used it last week. It says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. That's to love each other. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, at first blush, when you read that, that sounds pretty simple, right? Pretty non-complicated. It says, just kind of take a look at it, love each other more and more, uh, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs. In other words, keep your nose out of other people's business. Work with your hands. Work well at what your job is, as we instructed you, so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And these are, I think, good instructions. And one is wise to follow them. But there are elements that war against our good intentions and efforts. Uh, one of the things I've been trying to educate us on is the fall. Uh, you hardly hear it talked about in churches anymore because it's kind of a passe sort of thing. But we kind of, I've said many times, treat the fall like a, a flat tire when really it's a blown engine. And what you find is that the debris field from the fall goes all the way across the board and it stains everything. And so as we wrestle with that, we, come, we, we kind of run into that. One of the first places where we can get tangled up is in our own nature. Right? There's a, that, when it talks about the fall, and when it talks about when we come to Christ, there are two natures that work with us. There's the sinful nature, the flesh, and then there is the, the nature of the spirit. And I, I don't think I have to... Uh, go through a whole bunch of illustrations of how that works inside because I know, I think, I think we know what it is to wrestle with ourselves, right? Um, and to, uh, but it just brings, when you talk about the fall, uh, our fallen nature and, and, and others, it brings enormous complications when all that comes together in what we call the workplace, right? Where you get a whole bunch of people juking and jiving together all at the same time. And all those different motives and all those different attitudes and all those different places and different uh, takes go on it. And it doesn't matter what your workplace is. I'm looking and the variety of workplaces here is enormous. Um, it, there's, there's, it can get really muddy. So the very first warning shot, we were talking about sloth last week. And one of the things is just a tendency not to do a good job. Uh, here's the danger of sloth. If you go through Proverbs uh, Proverbs 26 says, The sluggard says there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. Oh my, we can't go outside. It's so dangerous. It's so awful. You know? And uh, this theme is repeated all through Proverbs. Uh, this is a good one. As the door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard on his bed. Right? Oh, oh I can't get up, man. It's hard, right? That's a deal we all struggle with. As the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. Even eating is becoming an effort at this point. Right? Right? Just kind of losing zest for life, losing intentionality, losing perspective. But here's the key note on that. In Proverbs 26, if you're asking what it talks about, it says the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer discreetly. 
And I, I found this to be true in ministry where someone comes in with a lot of problems and you start helping them saying, okay, here's some biblical counsel. Here's some steps you could take. And they, they look at you and go, well, I really don't want your advice. I appreciate it, but I've got my own plan and I'm going to stay with my plan. I said, well, how's that plan working out for you? Well, not very good, but uh, I'm going to stay with it. And so the, the end result of slothfulness is you become wise in your own eyes and you're not open to other people's um, input. You often can see this uh, when a dad's trying to get a teenager out of bed in the morning, right? You know how that works? It's, it's that kind of, kind of attitude. But when we complicate that, when we grow up, uh, we start to have what's called politics in the workplace, right? None of us would know what that is, right? Uh, first of all, let me say when we're talking about this, there are many good bosses out there and there are many really good work environments. Uh, great jobs, great places to work. Uh, this would be one of them. All right? I would tell you that right off the hat. But let me add just as quickly, there are many that are not so good. right? And there are many where you may have thought what you were getting into is something completely different than what you actually ended up getting into and uh, may have had to go through numerous changes uh, in the process of doing all that stuff. But even good jobs, even ones that are great, all of them are potentially vulnerable. A change in season or leadership uh, that can take what has been a great place to work at and turn it into office politics. Some of us have even seen that in churches when you have a a change of leadership within a church. There's a lot that goes on. And uh, at that point in a church, whatever can be shaken will be as people rattle around trying to figure out, do I stay or, or do I go? Uh, I'm planning on staying. Just want you to know that. Okay? Um, I'm hoping the kidney stones go. That's the part I hope goes. Um, but uh, in other words, uh, there's a lot of other words you could put for office politics, but we'll stay polite this morning. But one of the ways to look at it is through what's called the seven deadly sins. Remember these, this list? This is an old list. If you come from a Catholic background, it'd be very familiar to, very familiar to you. Uh, wrath, greed, sloth, pride, lust, envy, and gluttony. And this, what I want to suggest, this list often puts into words what we experience when something goes wrong at the workplace. You're going, well, how? Let me see if you can connect with this. Have you ever seen someone's wrath break out at your job? Right? A lot of nodding heads all of a sudden, right? Um, have you ever seen someone be greedy for promotions and take credit for what others have done? Have you ever seen someone who fakes his or her work and is a slugger, right? But they're acting like they're working hard. The truth is they're not really working at all. Certainly we've never seen pride rear its ugly head, have we? No. A little office romance, even if we, they are married. Uh, ever seen anyone get bent out of shape over someone else getting promoted ahead of them? All of these are ones that um, we have probably run into. And the question in this morning that I want to address is, what do we do um, when that turns on you? What, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How does that uh, shape you up? How are we to respond? How are we to pray through that? And uh, Because often our level of prayer needs to deepen, and um, at first when we jump into that, we're, we're pretty resentful 
boy, I didn't ask for this. Is this your idea of fun, God? You know, um, this wasn't what I was expecting. Um, so this morning, what I'd like to do is uh, have a, a testimony and someone come up. My friend Norm, uh, many of you know him as a bass player here at church, uh, has had one of these situations. So give Norm a hand. He's going to come up and share this morning. I'm going to sit down while you do that. Jeez, I might need that myself. I have vertigo. So. You can go over here. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're a pair together, aren't we? <laughs> we are. So. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Um, Tell them your name. My name is Norm England. My wife, Kathy, is out here, my daughter, Carrie. And um, when Steve asked me to speak this morning, I thought immediately of uh, a few months back when David Weed got up and talked with you and me about uh, his experience with the fire department when he had a manager that came after him and decided that he wanted to have him terminated. Well, I could identify with a lot of what he was uh, saying that day because I went through something quite similar myself. And um, I started working at the University of Washington back in September of 1989. And when I went to work there, I went to work with the uh, Department of uh, Student Fiscal Services. And within that department, I worked, our our office was the receivables collection office, and we were responsible for the collection of uh, federal and state student loans, and these were revolving funds so that as that money was collected, it went back uh, into a big fund that we were able to re-lend money to other students who needed that, that funding. Um, everything we did in our jobs was documented. Fortunately for me, it was. Um, We documented the number of telephone calls we made every day or those that were coming in. We documented uh, uh, the number of accounts that we went through each month, each week. We documented... Uh, the time duration that we spent on the phone with people. Additionally, we were hooked up with an outside billing servicer who sent all the bills out to our uh, students who had defaulted student loans. With that, we, uh, when we were in contact with these students, we would document all the conversations that we had. Uh, the agreements that we'd come to with their student loans if we allowed them to seek a deferment on their account or whatever the situation was. Well, when I first started working at the U, I had a manager myself that, for whatever reason, or not not a manager, she was a, a co-worker of mine at that time, she decided that she didn't like me. But in spite of that... We ended up working together for the next 
what, eight and a half years, something like that. And um, after about eight and a half years of working with her, she was, uh, we lost our manager in our office, and this woman was promoted to the manager of uh, uh, receivables collections. So <clears throat> it was probably only a couple weeks, a couple, three weeks later, I went to work one day and I found an email that said that she had set up a meeting with us. And on the subject line, it said, uh, performance evaluation. So I thought, wow, I wonder what that could be because I was actually one of the higher uh, ranking collectors in our office. So uh, my numbers were actually pretty good. So I went into this meeting with her and she had taken oh, eight or ten accounts that I'd worked that I'd worked recently. And she started going through these accounts one by one and questioning the work that I had done on these accounts, saying things like, I don't know that I would have done that in the same way or I would have done something different. And, um, you know, we'd worked hundreds of accounts a week. So I wasn't really sure you know, looking back at these accounts, what she was talking about. So after our meeting, I went back to my desk. I sat down and looked at these accounts one by one, and I could see what she'd done. She'd taken things like the first page of a history of working with these defaulted students and taken things out of context, manipulated numbers, Lied and just done all these all these things that were totally untrue, and I was really unhappy about it. But I could see where she was going. She was trying to build a case against me to get me terminated. So, realizing what she'd done, I went to my next higher up manager, our director of student fiscal services. But this manager had already talked to her. So that director was then listening to this manager. So I went to HR. Well, this manager had already talked to HR. So they, they listened to the manager. And then I went to another group uh, organization called UCERO at the University of El. They dealt with discrimination cases. Mine wasn't a discrimination case, so they listened to the manager. I went to the ombudsman. She also went to the ombudsman. They listened to the manager. She continued to come after me with these same trumped-up allegations over the next probably eight, nine months. Each, At each account, I would go go through and, and review these cases, each one of these cases, and document exactly what she'd done, how she'd taken things out of context, how she'd manipulated the numbers. 
and I would write all this down and present a rebuttal to each, each of the meetings that we had, to each case that she'd indicated. Finally, after doing this for, for eight or nine months, and it looked like I was going down, I was at probably my lowest point in this whole process. And I actually stayed home from work one day. And I thought that I was going to be fired. <clears throat> so I, I was pretty low. I was actually looking for another job that day. And as a Christian man, I have been praying about this every day. Every day. When you look like you're going to lose your job, it's on your mind all the time. This particular day, I got down on my knees and I prayed. I said, Dear Lord, I don't know how this has come this far. That I would have a, a manager that could that could do this. It just seems so unfair. And I said, but this part was different. All the other times I was praying, I was trying to go through this thing on my own. But this time, I said, I said, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I can't do this anymore. I'm putting this in your hands, however this comes out. I'll follow your lead. And I, and I ended my prayer. Ten seconds later, a thought popped in my head. And so why do you persist in taking the defense on this whole, this whole approach? Why don't you turn this around and take the offense? So the next day I went in, into the office. I got out my union handbook. And I looked at the grievance process. It's a five-stage process. You file a grievance. You meet with, the, with your union rep and the manager, whoever you're filing the grievance against, and they're next higher up. If that doesn't work, you go on to the next step. You meet with labor relations. And you try to come to some agreement with that. Either you win or you lose. If that doesn't work, you go to the next step, which is arbitration. They bring in arbitrators and it starts costing the university money or myself money. The last step is a, it goes to litigation where it really gets into the money. Someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. I contacted an attorney. I filed the grievance. I took, um, went into the first meeting with my manager. She persisted. She wanted to keep it going. Finally, I, it got to the point where I went into the meeting with labor relations. I had my union rep there on my side. Against me, I had labor relations. 
I had a representative from HR, and I had my boss's boss, our director for student fiscal services. They got up for about 10 minutes, and they presented their case against me. I had two books with me. This, this is one of them. It contains several organized uh, chapters, if you will, of events that had taken place. I documented everything. I went through myself for 45 minutes, went through chapter by chapter, and indicated what she had done. And I said, I have this one. I'm going to keep this one for myself. I said, you take the other one. You go through it, and you decide whatever you're going to do. I said, yes, there's someone here that is not a very good employee, and it's not me. If you want to make that decision and you want to take this all the way, I'm prepared to do so. A week later, they called me into another meeting, and they said, well, we're going to offer you another job. We're not going to pursue this any further. We're going to drop this. We'll offer you another job. We don't think you should continue working with this person. We're not going to fire her. But So they offered me the position of uh, invoice receivables coordinator, which I took even though it was still in student fiscal services, and we worked together. We didn't work together directly, so I was out from under her, and I was able to continue at the university, so I basically won that, that case. What? Several years later, we get up to last year, last November, this manager that had come after me through all these years, I was feeling so much bitterness and resentment with this person. Finally, in November, she retired last year. I didn't go to her, to her retirement party, but as it turned out, the last day after she was ready to leave and go home, I wouldn't be seeing her again. We were working downstairs in our office in Smith's Hall. And five o'clock rolled around. And the way it turned out, I believe this was the Lord's work. The way it turned out, she was walking toward me. There were two or three people left in the office that night. She was walking toward me. I was heading out the door this confrontation between us. I thought, well, this is a moment of truth. How do I deal with this? I walked up to her. <laughs> it was hard to do it. But I gave her a big hug. And I said, I wish you all the happiness in your retirement. And she looked at me. Her eyes were so big. I thought that I think that she thought that I was going to attack her. It's not that I had thought about it. You know. 
but I did. And for any of you who have gone through something like this, you know how it feels and how you want retaliation. And you feel that that's, that's something that you would, would like to give back to that person. But if you find it within yourself to do the right thing, in the end, I think you'll feel a lot better about it. There's an old saying that if you hold on to anger, anger holds up to you. And I believe that's true. You can't, you can't walk away from it and you can't find peace. If you hold on to that anger, it's not doing you any good. It's certainly not hurting that person. So I, I guess that's what I learned through the whole thing. Part of what's hard to capture in a story like that is the uh, grind that that puts you through and the wear and tear that that puts you through. And uh, it's a tough challenge. If you look in Scripture, here in First Peter, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you, are, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Uh, I.e. there if you're an idiot and get punished. You know, what does that win you? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And it goes on to say, for this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And sometimes in the workplace, work is just plain hard and grinding. Worse, sometimes it's unjust and unfair. And it's, there's not an easy out. So when we talk about entanglements in the workplace, it can come from kind of three different ways. It can come from the top down. In this case, in Norm's story, that's how it came. It came from the top down, right? It can also come from the bottom up, right? There can be turmoil coming up from the bottom towards the top. Or it can be what I call cutting across the cloth. That's what we would call normal office uh, politics, right? right? Everybody getting at each other that way. When you live in a fallen world, we shouldn't be surprised when we run into this. I wrote this list out, um, some helpful hints, uh, before Norm shared. And uh, he had shared this with me a couple months ago, and I wrote this down. But if you go through something like this, what, what, are, what are some helpful hints? Number one, pray, 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 pray. All right? And notice in Norm's story, it shifted to several different levels of prayer. Right, where he had to sort through his own motives. He had to sort through, uh, God, why are you taking me through this? Why? How come this is happening to God? What do you want to do with this? To Lord, I lay it on the altar. That's almost the breaking point, right? Right, right there when you go, Lord, I put this on the altar. That that is a a, a hard place to get to. Second thing, when you're in one of these, keep your integrity. There's always the tendency to drop to the lowest common denominator. There's always a tendency to fight fire with fire. There's always a tendency to trade cheap shot with cheap shot. Instead, uh, to hold to our integrity and hold to the integrity that, that Christ has built in us. Number three, guard against bitterness. 
Uh, we spend a lot of time in Northview talking about bitterness. Bitterness can sweep through a group of people. It can stain a church. It can stain an organization. It can stain the potential of our service with the Lord because we're so busy being bitter, we can't see what the Lord actually wanted to do through something like that, uh, through that kind of hard thing. And worse, we get bitter at God. Um, we have this uh, kind of idea that if I'm a Christian, then all life will go good because God's on my side. We don't have an idea that I go through life with God on my side, that there will be a lot of tough things in life that we have to guard against. Number four, watch your tongue. Watch your words. Often our tongue will reveal where that bitterness is. It will pour out of our spirit. And uh, watch our words. I think Norm put a great thing in here. Don't attempt revenge. Uh, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And it's not. We make a great us. We make a lousy Jesus. And we take vengeance in our own hands. It usually almost always backfires in a bad kind of way. And I would encourage us to move away from that. Number six, I think Norm's story is a good one. If the Lord gives you a way out, take it. Now notice the way out for Norm was not easy. Right? That was a pretty complicated process. And he was using words that some of you are going, what's an ombudsman? Really? I mean, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it was a pretty complicated process to walk through. But in the process, God gave him a way out. But here's the other side of it. If the Lord asks you to stay, then stay. Sometimes God will take you out of the situation. Sometimes God leaves you in the situation as his witness. And you have to determine which of those uh, he's asked you to do. The last one, number eight, is you have to learn to forgive. Now, Norm will tell you that he's not sure. He's totally through the process of forgiveness on this. And he will tell you that he called me up a couple times this week um, going, I'm not sure I can share because I'm not sure I've totally forgiven her and I'm not sure I want to stand up in front and be a fake on Sunday morning. Right? There's a lot of pressure with that. And I said, no, forgiveness is a process and uh, you're working through it. And so forgiveness in this case has taken quite a while. But I believe the essence of it culminated when he saw the woman in the hallway and was able to hug her and say, greatest happiness to you in your retirement. There's something there of the Spirit of Christ that has changed. And Norm will tell you the dam is broke. He's not sure how much water's behind it yet, but uh, he's, uh, it's clearing out. All right? And so uh, many of us might have a hard time forgiving because the wounds, as you could hear in Norm's voice, the wounds are real. They're not imagined wounds. They're not pretend wounds. They're not, this is your livelihood. This is your family. This is, you're going after some pretty uh, important stuff when this happens. And so sometimes it's, it's hard to forgive. But I want to say this in the sense that uh, in James, we, we know the verse, uh, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces right endurance. Uh, that will be a good verse for me this week. All right, as I go through the rest of the kidney stones. But uh, James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And the idea there is that there is a trial. We face persecution on many different levels. We face testing on many different levels. 
We face trials on many different levels. And it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter if you're in the workplace. It doesn't matter if you're in the business sector. It doesn't matter if you're an owner. Right? There's a lot of different levels. Any way you go, you're going to encounter trials. And nine-tenths of it is God wants us to be mature, to grow up, to be godly. And in this is the pressure to become holy. There is the tendency or the temptation to cave into my sinful nature and not be holy, to be carnal, to lash out, to strike back, to stay small, to stay bitter, to stay mean. All of us know that type of pull inside of us where that I'll pay you, you blessed person of Jesus, right? Isn't that how that goes? Right? Uh, we know that. And God says, let go. Stand the test. This is about eternity. This isn't about right now. And sometimes it's hard. We lose that. We lose that perspective. Second Peter, as another verse, says this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial. In another translation, it says, fiery ordeal. And if you've been in a situation, like, you know, it feels like a fiery ordeal. It feels like your whole world is burning up and going up in flames. Right? It says, do not be surprised at the painful trial, the fire ordeal that you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And part of this is, we've got to be able to see the Lord in the bad stuff as well as the good. Uh, too often, Christianity in America is, I only see the Lord in the good. And if good things happen, then I'm into Jesus and it's an awesome thing and I rubbed the genie lamp and he gave me what I wanted and being a Christian is fantastic. But when things don't go my way, when things are hard, when things are difficult, when I endure trial, when I pray and it feels like God himself has turned against me, then I have the right to get really upset and I'm just going to pout and sulk. And um, it's unfair and unrighteous of God to bring those trials into my life. And I want to suggest to you that when you became a Christian, you were never promised a painless life. You were never promised a pain-free life. You were never promised a temptation-free life. You were promised to go through life with all the trials and all the tribulations that everybody else goes through with the Holy Spirit to guide you on how to go through those trials differently than the people around you go through them. And in that is the telltale signature that we have... uh, have to endure when we go through trials, right? Um, some of us deal not in the job situation with this, but some of us deal with chronic pain, right? Um, and chronic pain can be a grinding, grinding thing. Why me, God? Um, last count that I've kept track of, this is 21 for kidney stones, all right? Why me? I, I'm the oldest of eight, um, and I, my dad comes from a family of 15, and in that entire clan, I don't know anyone who's past one. All right? So I, I somehow got singled out for special treatment. All right? Now, you, you can complain about that, or you can just go, well, that's part of the cards I got dealt with, and I got to deal with them, and I got to see where the Lord's grace is in that. Okay? What's your battle this morning? What's your trial and temptation? Where is it hard for you to forgive? Where maybe haven't you forgiven and you heard a norm story and you go, you know what? i, I got to let that go. I've been holding on that for years and i got to let that go. 
we're going to run into crooked stuff. We're going to run into unfair stuff in the work environment. It is not a perfect world. It is not a perfect system. We're never guaranteed it would always go the way we want. And we were never guaranteed that we'd be protected from someone else's sin. And in that, the glory of Christ is manifested. That's how it breaks out of broken pots. Is the glory of Christ is manifested when we face that well. Let's pray this morning. Father, this is not a seeker-friendly message, but it's certainly one that's core to your word. And it's core to how you work with us. And it's one that we have to lean into. And I ask that you would give us grace this morning. Who knows what wounds or what band-aids were tore off as Norm shared. Uh, Who knows what you were speaking uh, to a son or a daughter in the midst of this service. Uh, Only you know. And so this morning we turn that over to you and ask for you to be kind and good, but also uh, honest and places where we've held on to things we shouldn't. You've told us to let go, might we? And Lord, may we turn to you again as the God of justice and seek justice from you uh, instead of uh, around us. And we, there's so many angles, Lord, that weren't covered this morning. It's just a, a pinprick of what we could cover, but I pray that it will minister well. We ask this in your name. Amen.